Dave Cole, CEO, EMX World Corporation. Happy to be back on the show. Uh, even though Matt always asks the toughest questions in the industry, I'm still happy to be back because I like tough questions. Uh, but as you know, you know we're we're a royalty generator. We generate royalties around the world, executing our royalty generation business model. Been doing it for a long time. We have access to and and, and hold 300 mineral property positions around the world, and uh, we also, when we can, buy royalties to augment that portfolio. And we also have a fantastic track record of making strategic investments, share placements into various companies within the sector that have paid off handsomely for us, putting us in a situation today where we have about 40 million US dollars in cash, about 20 million US dollars in tradable securities within our portfolio, in, which includes long-term and short-term investments. Where accumulate That accumulates up to almost as much money as I've raised in the history of the company. We have no debt. And as I said, exposure to 300 mineral property positions around the world, proven business model. You know, I'm passionate about the business model, Matt. Welcome back, David. Good to have you back on. We spoke to you in March. Wanted a catch up. I'll tell you why I wanted a catch up. I felt there's been a moment. You had a moment. You've made some board appointments. And I'm keen mm -hmm. to understand why. What's the significance of these appointments? As you know, and as we've discussed, EMX is on a trajectory to grow. And we need to make sure that the board grows with that. Um, all the board members we have currently on have been on for a very, very long time. And uh, it is proper uh, governance, you know, to bring in new blood. We're very happy to have Sonny Lowe, top-notch finance lady who's based in Ontario on the board and happy to have. She's our first female appointment to the board. We're happy to have that diversification, but more importantly, her intelligence um, and acumen on the board. Likewise, further diversification, enhancing our European exposure is Mr. Henrik Blundin. Um, and uh, uh, he actually has a degree in petroleum engineering from Colorado School of Mines. So he has a Colorado connection. You know, as you know, I'm based in Colorado. We have a lot of uh, School of Mines connections there. But very importantly, we have a lot of European shareholders and a lot of assets in Europe. And Mr. Lundin is based in Oslo. And we're happy to, to have that further uh, European uh, di diversification on our board. Okay, brilliant. So I get the diversification, but I think more, more boards need to, to do a bit more of that, quite frankly. I got to ask the question now. Lundin makes people's ears prick up when they hear that name. So that means a change of strategy? Are they going to be driving the strategy? No, it's, it's not a connection to, to Lucas, although Henrik is Lucas's cousin, um, and I believe they get along very well. Uh, but this was entirely independent of, of, uh, of Lucas or, or his immediate um, um, uh, financial network. Uh, we have engaged Henrik because of our knowledge of his boardmanship um, on the Goldline Resources Board, where we got to know him because we're shareholders in Goldline Resources, and we understand his uh, deep European connections. We thought it was an ideal uh, position. We're, we're very pleased to have him come on. Okay. So I do want to talk about some of the deals that you've been doing, but I also want to talk about the market, and I want to do that first because I think it'll have some bearing on you know, what you've been up to, okay? So we've seen a little bit of M&A, the biggest of uh, which uh, is the Ely royalty deal. Oh. Um, did you have a look at it? Oh my gosh. So, you know, Trey is, um, he's not a young guy. He's a friend of mine. Trey Wasser is a friend of mine. Jerry Boffman, also a friend of mine. And uh, they've both been in the business a long time, right? Uh, and, and they have, uh, uh, I think, been astutely looking for merger opportunities for, for quite some time. And I think they've done a great job here. 
Uh, I think they've done a good job for their shareholders. Um, in my view, I'm, uh, nothing you know personal about this, but in my view, they're overvalued. Um, I believe that uh, gold royalty is also significantly overvalued, as are many of the junior royalty companies uh, within the space uh, because of overbloviated asset portfolios, some where, where we don't have a chance to really see how those assets will perform you know, for another five or 10 years. But, but putting that aside for the moment, the, um, I, I believe it was astute uh, for Ely to sell to gold royalty. Amir is incredibly well-spoken. He's put together a fantastic team there. They don't own much yet. So they're taking a great team and they're adding the assets that Ely has. I think it's actually a good move for both companies. I would agree with you on, on valuation, not just in that deal, but across the board. There's, I think people don't look hard enough, okay? So you're a project generator, you're a slightly different camp, slightly different camp. Yep. Um, so I'm not, I'm not putting you in, 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 that, in that category, but it's very difficult for shareholders, it's very difficult for um, brokers, it's very difficult for retail investors to actually work out what the value of these things are, because they're being told by the companies how to value the companies. So that's the mechanics that are used. So how should we be looking at companies like that? When you say they're overvalued, based, based, on, based on what? Well, if you do a hardcore net asset valuation on a discounted cash flow basis of the assets of any royalty company, even the very best one, Franco Nevada, you're going to see that they traded a substantial premium to that. I believe, uh, according to Scotiabank, Franco trades at approximately two and a half times NAV5. And we could discuss, and this is a long-term phenomenon. It's not a short-term thing. This is a, this is a, a, a um, situation that's existed for decades, multiple cycles within the sector. And the apparent justification for that is, of course, goodwill. That team is going to continue to do more stuff, right? And so you're buying into the team. But the, the royalty instrument itself is a phenomenal financial instrument, as you've heard me say, because of its embedded optionality, which is multiplicative. So you take commodity price optionality and discovery optionality, which is the biggest one, metallurgical advancement optionality, increasing of infrastructure within a mining district, which makes ores that weren't economic before become economic. And all those things multiply together and end up with situations such as the gold strike royalty that Franco bought early in their history for 1.x million that's paid over a billion. And of course, they're all not going to behave in that manner. But the few that do really drive the market expectation for the value of royalty companies, and that's why we're in the royalty business. Uh, so, the, so you know, royalty companies trading at a premium to their NAV certainly is justifiable to some degree. Um, I, I, certainly, I, I believe that some of the companies have um, um, benefited from that more than they should have. A CEO said to me recently, and I put a timestamp on it, said to me recently with regards to royalty companies, okay, you're a project generator, I'm, I'm talking about these the pure play mm -hmm. or otherwise royalty companies. Perception is reality. If we can keep up the pretense long enough, it becomes reality. It buys us the time we need to maybe affect some of the changes or at least get in and get out with having made a few quid along the way. So do you think that's true? Do you think the market can be fooled? Well, RDF is real. Idiosyncratic risk is very real. Um, and that idiosyncratic aspect uh, can play a huge role in, in capital market activity. Today's markets are great examples of that. You know, the, the companies that are the most popular have done amazingly well regardless as to the financial performance. And, um, you know, reality distortion field is uh, uh, um, 
a phenomenon that has worked incredibly well for some folks because they have been able to backfill over time. And, and uh, you know, Robert Friedland and Steve Jobs are the w- ones that are most famous for RDF. And it was actually Robert Friedland that, that schooled and mentored Steve Jobs about reality distortion. And Mr. Friedland has an excellent point. It's, it's not inaccurate if what you have predicted comes to fruition. This is true. This is true. It's all part. You got, you got to pick how you invest and what you're comfortable yeah. investing yeah. in. Okay. Um, which brings on to you. You, may, you, you, you did a sale a few years ago, got a lot of money in the bank. You've still got a lot of money in the bank, 40 million cash, 20 million of equities. Um, so at least you've sort of changed. You, you, you've used, you've looked at that cash and decided to invest, which was an unusual one for you. So uh, why, why did you decide you needed to just sort of tweak the way that your, your, liquid, your liquidity sat on your balance sheet? So we do the three things that we do, the organic growth, and that business is steady and moving forward. Uh, we do the best, we're the best in the business at it. We, we work hard at buying royalties. We have bought some, we will buy more, but we're really careful about it. And I'm not gonna just buy royalties uh, willy-nilly. <clears throat> you know, you can't go to the Walmart store for royalties and, and buy cash flowing royalties at good valuations. It's just not gonna happen. You've gotta work at it. And we're out there slugging away. We lose processes right and left because they're selling at prices we believe just don't make sense. But we'll find some to buy, I promise you. And uh, we have found a few, we will find more. Um, and then the third thing we do incredibly well, but very carefully is strategic investments. And we've got a couple ongoing strategic investments right now that uh, tend to be sleepers in the portfolio. Market doesn't give a lot of credit for those until they come to fruition, which I completely understand, even though we have a track record of doing it for a long time, I get it. And um, we'll continue to, to focus on those strategic investments commonly, just so you and everybody else knows that we follow our financial investments for shares in these companies with intellectual property backing it up. So we're helping out on the engineering side, on the geology side, et cetera. So, well, you actually, yeah, you do get involved. You actually helped one of um, those investments, Goldline, with a couple of transactions mm-hmm. recently, didn't you? Yeah. That's, that, you know, that, that even though that's not a strategic investment, quote unquote, the way we define it, because we didn't put money into Goldline, we're a shareholder in Goldline, part and parcel to the fact that we sold them a portfolio of, I believe, 14 licenses on the gold line structure in the heart of the gold belt in central Sweden in exchange for share capital and royalties, you know, right down the pathway of our business model. And now that we're shareholders in them, we want to support them. And one thing that we did is we helped facilitate a transaction between gold line resources and Agnico Eagle. And this hats off to Dr. Eric Jensen, who facilitated and orchestrated this deal. He did a fantastic job. Uh, EMX ends up with the right to buy a royalty on those two properties perpetually for $1 million, 1% for 1 million. That's fantastic arrow to have in the quiver, right? Oh, we like that property. Boom. We'll give you a million bucks. We get a royalty. And, and then, and then uh, also we're enhancing value of the company that we're a shareholder in because those are media assets and we believe Goldline will do well with them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, with, with the, on the equity side of things, I mean, again, because you've, you've been at this a while with, with uh, your company, with EMX, right? With those holds, 18 years, right? So, you know, this, these are these are long hold strategies when it comes to the, the royalty generation side of things, which you're, you know, number one on your list. With the cost of the equities, I mean, do you have the same view there? I mean, what was the end game? You, you're going to get an NSR or try and negotiate NSRs on 
those where you can, or some of them are just going to be what pure play equity investments are they? Or so we own a, a share portfolio from two perspectives, and it's good to clarify that. One is shares that have paid to us part and parcel to our deal flow. And the others are where we've actually made an investment. And we look upon those a little bit differently, Okay, uh, but we manage that whole portfolio holistically and we're continually harvesting and, and we're continually you know, selling off positions that we've been paid. And so it's interesting in any given quarter, we've probably commonly sold a million dollars or more worth of stock, but we've probably been paid a couple million dollars from a deal that we've done, et cetera. So we're constantly turning over stock within that and managing that portfolio for, for our shareholders. But, but how, how are you viewing that? Because you know, I, I kind of get the kind of long-term strategy because I'm, I'm, I'm in this because I think there's some real value long-term for this thing. Mm-hmm. Or I think I'm going to play, I mean, do you? Because it's a company's money. Am I going to play the market because the momentum here is, is good for us in the short term and we'll harvest at the appropriate time? There's not a long-term hold. I mean, how, because the, the, strategy, the strategies are different. The strategies are very different from each of those scenarios. I understand that. But you, I'm trying to work out, are you doing that just to cover GNA? So at least no one's giving you gifts. Well, actually, we're, we're, we're covering our GNA here with all of this regular income. We haven't really got any meaningful income of our own yet. Um, but at the, you know, but we're trying to buy ourselves whatever. I don't know when, when is the, because we, we, I do want to talk to you about Timok and Valia and uh, Kawakua, et cetera, you know, because those are things people are most interested in because those are significant revenue generators for you potentially. So what's the game between now and those things coming online, those revenues coming online? So there's several answers embedded in your question, uh, which was a lengthy and good question. Let's go back to the, the term that you use, momentum and momentum investing, et cetera. So just to be clear, we're value players. So when we're making investments, it's not because we believe that there's going to be a market move or we're trying to play the beta. Um, we're making specific investments because of our, our, of our um, 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 technical skills have said there's something special going on here and we want to be involved. And uh, um, those have paid off handsomely you know, in our history and they've done even more than, I mean, it'd be great if it paid for all the GNA in the history of the company. It's actually done even more than that. And that's why we're sitting here today with um, nearly as much Cash and investments in the bank as we raise the kind entire- of, But it's kind of like an outlier, David, in the way that, that there was one deal. Yeah. It wasn't like a whole succession. You haven't got like a big track record of delivering successive revenue for doing things like that. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, what's, we've got a few. You could, yeah, but okay, what, what sort of quantum in relation to the one big outlier? So, you know, there, there was a, we had a uranium investment very early in the history of the company uh, when we were, I don't know, $20 million market cap or something that, that paid out $5 million bucks. And it was a nice big hit for us. And we were in a situation then. We have as much money to make as we've raised in the history of the company. The, so it's not the first time we've done that. And some of the wins that we've had have been, have been outsized, such as the one out of Russia, for sure. But we've had some other incremental smaller wins along that pathway as too, as well. And just so you know, the compounded annual growth rate, the internal rate of return on our invested capital over our 17-year histories within this category of strategic investments is over 40%. And that's after tax. Okay. So, so, so that's that's significant. That, but that's that's buying you time. That's buying you time mm-hmm. to hit one out of the park. To use a sporting yes. analogy, an American sporting analogy. So I appreciate that. <laughs> so, so talk to us about the, what's what's first on the on on the rank. I'm, I'm mixing up my metaphors here, but who's first on the rank? First on the rank with respect to as in when is the sort of next big momentous. You know, revenue generating, you know, moment is—is uh, is it Timok? Sure. Because it well, has much changed. You know, 
You, you and I both know the team looks fantastic asset in our portfolio. Supposed to come into production, you know, late this summer. Uh, we're looking forward to that very much. Bali is going to be a great lead zinc silver mine that's advancing to full scale commercial production. My understanding is things are going uh, right on schedule at Balia, have been delayed a couple of months at uh, Timuk. But both of those are going to be great royalties for us. The other thing that can be transformed is if we do land um, a big royalty purchase. Um, and, uh, um, you know, we're working on that every day, but absolutely no promises that it will happen. But, but as a value player, how, how, can you, how, how can you possibly think that you're going to be able to go uh, into the market? I know the answer. Right? So I, so I live this. I live this scenario. So everyone's overpaying for royalties. How do we get them? Hmm. Well, what's the one thing that a big company would want that has a portfolio of royalties? They want to divest those royalties because it's not their core business. And, and, and they want to be able to capture the most value. What would they be looking for? How about shares in a company that would be transformed from the transaction? So that's been the way we've been playing this. We talked to major companies saying, hey, why don't you sell us your portfolio of royalties? And we'll give you part cash, we'll give you part shares, we'll give you all shares, you know, whatever makes the deal work, but it has to be at a fair valuation because you're going to be a shareholder and you wouldn't want to be in a shareholder in a company that would overpay, right? Did that work for Cisco? Well, a Cisco... Um, in terms of the, the spin out of their assets... Did that work that's for a, them? That's a different style of deal than I'm talking about. Okay. So, you know, they spun out their, their um, accelerator portfolio. So as to segment that portion of the portfolio, which is really a drill and build, what we call a drill and build um, asset base and business model from their royalty portfolio. I believe the market was um, confabulating the results of those two, and it was better off to have those separated. Uh, so I believe that was a smart move. Um and I, I like their new CEO, by the way. I think he's very intelligent. Oh, no, he, he, he's a good guy. I'm thinking about the, the royalty, the, the royalty spin-out, where perhaps it kind of hit the market hot, hot and heavy, and then the, the shine came off it a bit. Yeah, well, you know, I, 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 I probably shouldn't comment about o, o, o Cisco in any great detail. Um, certainly, have a lot of respect for the folks over there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, smart CEO, like him, been on the show, um, got a lot of respect for that guy, uh, Cisco. But... Um, I want to talk to you about you, the fact that you filed a base shelf prospectus. I mean, why do that with so much cash on hand? What, what, what are you hoping to achieve? Yeah, no, no short-term necessity to raise cash, as you know, uh, but to have the degree of freedom to be able to raise a significant amount of cash if the right deal were to present itself is astute um, on our part, and it reduces the cost of capital. So when you have that shelf filing in place, it's easier to sell the stock. You get it at a price closer to market. And most, all, you know, nearly all major royalty companies, probably all major royalty companies, of course, have those filings. So this is part of EMX growing up. Right. And it's in line with us expanding our board, getting our shelf filing. You know, we're preparing to become a mid-tier company. But on what basis? Which we will. But, but when? Okay, when and on what basis? But most people are going to be saying, hey, how's the revenue coming along? Well, we, we already touched upon that. Um, and uh, I, I think the existing portfolio is going to perform fantastically over the course of the next year. We're, uh, you've heard me say before that I believe we can institute a small quarterly dividend in 2022. I'm sticking to that. And we can um, uh, pour fuel on the fire if we can find the right deal. Well, so what, what, what do you think that revenue has got to look like to, to genuinely be able to say, hey, we're, we're now sort of a, a mid-tier Royalty company of, of whatever description, you know, does it need to be 10 million? 10 plus. Right, 10 million plus. 10 plus. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. And give us that growth profile again, remind us. 
Your revenue yeah. growth profile? So, um, uh, it, so we have revenue from so many different sources and some of them are lumpy and share payments, et cetera. But we're talking about low single digits going up to, to uh, low double digits uh, over the course of the next uh, two, three years. Okay, so, so, so let's say on an annualized basis, 2021, you're, you're, you're uh, guiding what? In 2022, you're guiding what? Right around 5 million USD top line, maybe six. And I'm including the share payments that are coming in. And then that will be augmented. So all those aspects of share payments, advanced minimum royalty payments, you know, 30 of our royalties are actually paying, quote unquote, even though they're not production royalties, because we're getting different payments that are stage gated along the way, commonly annual payments, et cetera, in addition to the production royalties. But it's the production royalties that are really coming on stream at Balia and at TMUC that are going to you know, push that number up substantially as we head into 22. Okay. And I just wanted to be, I wanted you to explain to people that the different types of revenue that come through, because yes. you, you, you kind of always say you're growing up, you've had to make sure revenue is yep. coming in, that people are looking for sustainable revenue, which is going to come from the yes. royalties. So you've been managing the process between now and the, the, the you know, team work, et cetera, coming, coming online. I think that's so important for people to know. Touch upon okay. Sure. So, so we've been substantially positive cash flow in a lumpy manner throughout our history. Otherwise, we wouldn't have all the cash in the bank, right? Um, but we, uh, our board has made the distinct decision as, ha as has been supported by the executives to not pay a dividend until we have recurring income that is uh, sustainable. So we know that dividend will stay in place. Fantastic. I, I, that, that's, I wanted that distinction. I said, yeah. what does growing up actually mean? It means getting to Getting yourself or allowing yourself to get to a point where you can get the sustaining revenue for, which is yes. the behavior, more of the behavior of a royalty yep. company than a royalty generator, which is where you've I'd come Absolutely from. correct. Okay. Because most of our income over the, over our past has been from lumping gains from strategic investing, share payments that have come into us. We've done really well with our share payments, millions of dollars a year that we make on share payments that come into us. And then the nickels and dimes, those are the, um, uh, annual advanced minimum royalty payments, you know, that range from ten thousand to you know one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year on a project. So I think there's been a, a little bit. Not only has there been a little bit of M and A, but I think that the, the the equities within royalties have seen a little bit of uh, sideways movement. We'll, we'll we'll call it okay, except for uh, Sandstorm, which they've they've seen a little, a little uptick. So what are they getting right that the others aren't? Um, I don't follow Sandstorm closely. Certainly, they're a good company. Uh, and here's one thing I will point out, right? Royal Gold approaches a business very differently than Franco, very different than Sandstorm. And, and despite the fact that these folks um, approach the business very differently, they've all had great stock price performance over the long haul through multiple business cycles, which comes back to this concept that just owning royalties is a great thing to do. Okay, David, if, I, if I'm looking at your share price, you're at 330 million market cap. Okay, you're you're a reasonable size now. You we were talking the language of growing up there. So you're gonna you, the, the conversation will change, the narrative will change. Existing shareholders will have to come along with you because they've they're used to you behaving and, and playing in a certain way. They've got to say, well, actually, I do like this new look that David's gonna be. Um, affecting change of, um, which, which is great. So you can have that conversation. The question for you is for new people looking in at this, they're going to say, well, I either think this guy can deliver it or I don't think this guy can deliver it. I'll, I'll stick with well, more well-established 
royalty players, you know, precious metal royalty players. That's got to be the easier, safest bet, hasn't it? You know, I'm not going to bemoan anyone investing in a royalty portfolio. That's a smart thing to do. When looking at EMX, look at our 18-year track record. You know, our compounded annual growth rate. We first raised money at 15 cents Canadian to start this company. And uh, you know where we are today. That's a you know, mid-teens, high-teens uh, compounded annual growth rate on share price over that time. And there's been multiple market cycles within that where one would have had the opportunity to buy and sell. Uh, but this is, a, this is a buy and hold business model because we're just creating wealth as we continue to acquire more mineral property assets within this portfolio quite inexpensively. Um, uh, very much so uh, as compared to, to our competitors. So, you know, I just look at track record and um, having the opportunity to buy this company before we become distinctly positive cash flow from recurring production royalty income, I believe is a very good time to buy. Okay. So if I look at the deal, the price that um, the Ely deal transacted at, if I look at the, mm. ra- the, the best of the rest, they kind of sub, sub billion companies. There's, there's a few in and around that level, maybe less than a handful. And then there's a, um, whole bunch of others from 100 up to 500. Is, will there be consolidation? Are you going to be part of that? Um, or do you, you know, plow your own, f- uh, f- you know, path forward? So we're, you know, we've already been here 17 going on 18 years. We're not here to sell this company at uh, $4 a share. Uh, let's get to 24. And uh, we're not in any hurry to, to sell the company, but we're here for our shareholders. So if some uh, crazy offer were to come in, of course, we would entertain that. Uh, but that's not our primary objective. With respect to the other uh, royalty players, um, uh, I think it behooves them to, to merge. I think that's smart for them, but they need to make that decision on their own. So Matthew, you know, I, I, you're catching me right after a long weekend, right? So we just celebrated Independence Day, uh, which, you know, not to touch a soft spot on behalf of my friends and my family. I, you know, my family's from England. Originally, um, the uh, but uh, you know, of course, we we revel in the opportunity to celebrate what I believe was the original Brexit, <laughs> July fourth, seventeen seventy six. Very good, very good. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Thank you very much, David. Lovely to uh, catch up with you. Uh, What a salutary note to end on. I appreciate it. Stay in touch, let us know how you get on. If you have anything exciting to look forward to in the next few weeks. You know, uh, we always have deal flow.